And I, I disagree with a, a lot of the things he has to say. I think he has more of a ne- negative viewpoint. And my whole message is that millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance and prosperity in family, faith, finances, and fitness. And guess what? You don't even have to be a millionaire to do so. It all starts with a mindset and the decision to live your best life. Once you have that and you start being grateful for everything you have in your life right now and then start paying it forward, you're on your journey to living your best life and living your life of abundance. And what we're doing here on Men of Abundance is sharing with you conversations with men and women who are in fact living a life of abundance, paying it forward and sharing their kick in the gut moments with you and then sharing with you what they learned from that experience so that you can gain from their insight. And since a huge element of living a life of abundance is to pay it forward, I'm going to afford you the opportunity to be abundant in your life today by paying it forward and sharing men of abundance with everyone you come in contact with. This simple action of paying it forward is going to make you feel amazing. And for those who you're going to share it with, they will thank you. So feel free to share the website, menofabundance.com. Share this episode on your favorite podcast player. Share it wherever it is that others are paying attention to you. Listen, I greatly appreciate you for that. And those who find the episode that you shared are going to thank you as well. And if you have like two minutes, go leave a rating and review on iTunes. I love reading those because it gives me some feedback and lets me know if I'm making an impact or not, what I need to change, what you feel I need to change, and I'll take that into consideration. I seriously will. Now, our featured guest today is national best-selling author of The Millennial Whisperer, which was released in February 2019 and quickly became the number two best-selling book at Barnes & Noble. His dynamic approach to attracting and motivating the next generation in the workplace has had him featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Fox TV, Cheddar News, and more. Chris is also a partner at 22 Squared, a full-service advertising agency based out of Atlanta, Georgia, where he oversees content marketing and partnerships as well as the employee engagement consulting division. Chris has held many different roles over the 10 years he's been there and now focuses his time building new offerings and motivating the millennial generation in the workplace. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Chris Tuff. Chris, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. I dig Atlanta, man. I had a chance to go there a couple of times. I'd spend about a week there when I was um, in the Army many, many years ago. Well, I was in the Army four years ago, but my opportunity to go to Atlanta every year for a week to the Reserve Conference out there was pretty cool. And I had to work about an hour a day. But back then, it was like, no, you got to stay for the whole week. I'm like, 
bummer. Yeah. Okay. I love <laughs> I'm going to go check out Buckhead and all these other cool places. Totally. You know? Well, it's changed a lot. Like, uh, I'm I mean, sure. as Tampa is changing a lot, you know, we actually have uh, our ad agency has offices in both Atlanta and Tampa. So we get to see both. I get to see both those cities transform. So, yeah, both great cities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've heard that uh, Atlanta, I just recently talked to somebody else who was in Atlanta and it's changed so much over the years. I know they changed Buckhead back in the, it was early 2000s when I was there and I went to Buckhead during the day and it's all metropolitan people jogging and it was just beautiful. And then I was like, I'm going to go check this place out. And night. somebody told me, go down there at night. You'll see, you know, there's, it was like girls gone wild, man. It was yeah. out of control. Oh, I was like, this is not the same place. It's changed a lot. It's that's what I said. Yeah. That's what people said. It's, it's completely different. So, but I'd like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? Well, so I, one of the best things uh, uh, that my friend uh, Tommy taught me was that all great fa- all great foundations are built on gratitude. And so um, I actually do a gratitude journal, five-minute journal every day. So I do it mm-hmm. in the morning and at night. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I can say today it was uh, uh, I have gratitude for my two daughters and my wife. I have uh, gratitude for my health. I'm actually reading an amazing book called Hope Heals right now that um, talks about a woman who actually met on a radio show recently. Uh, She has a stroke 11 years ago. She had a six-month-old child, blah, blah, blah. It talks about amazing things like this idea of post-traumatic growth, which is the opposite of post-traumatic stress. But anyways, without digressing too much, health is my number two. And uh, number three uh, is uh, my ability to work out, uh, wake up and work out at 530 in the morning. Those are my my three big things. That's awesome. We're going to get much more to that here in just a minute. But yep. post-traumatic growth, I don't know where I first heard that term, but I'm working with a group of veterans and we are working on doing some executive training and working with veterans as well and pr- specifically working on uh, building resiliency and preventing PTSD, which I always hated the PTSD term. And a while ago, I heard and I and I use that term post-traumatic growth within this group. They're like, oh, my God, that's the best thing ever. So they they gave me a bunch of credit for it. I was like, no, I no, 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 I can't take credit for it, brother. I know I didn't come up with that, but I just had I'd to never it. I'd never heard of it until I was on this show. And he started, you know, basically, I mean, that's. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's that mm-hmm. stuff. Choosing light over dark is not right. an easy thing. And to be able to see things in a new light, and um, it, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's all about language. I mean, it's all about uh, – I have written on my board right here, as a matter of fact, uh, physiology, focus, and language. It's all Tony Robbins uh, stuff that he shares that he didn't – some of the stuff he – pioneered and came up with, but most of it not. He learned it from other people as well. But the bottom line is, is when I hear somebody say, well, you know, my depression won't allow me to, I was like, wait a minute, it's not yours. You don't own it. It's a condition that you have that you're dealing with right now, but doesn't have to be there forever. And if you own it, then it's like your thumb. Exactly. It's yours. You know, don't own it or you never, unless you don't want to get rid of it. 100%. Hundred yeah, percent. It's all about language, man. So you know we're going to get much more into what you're doing. I really dig what you have going on, man, and I'm just excited about getting into this conversation. And I've already talked about a little bit about you professionally, but here on Men of Abundance, we like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself? So uh, I mean, I and I I, I talk about this uh, as I open up the book, but I'm one of the more passionate people you 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 meet, and uh, I'll hit things as I'm uh, talking about these many 
passionate thing. You know, right now, my biggest passion tirades are around, you know, what technology is doing to our culture and what that means, and obviously how to better manage millennials. But I like to describe myself as uh, I have a passion disorder, which my brother diagnosed me with because I get so excited about the things that I'm talking about. But, you know, the other piece is, is that I'm relentless with uh, once I get something in my head, I just do not stop until that thing is done. And, uh, you know, my whole platform is built on the idea of how do we bring more empathy and love into our world and more human to human connection. And the book, The Millennial Whisper that I wrote is all about how we can do that within our corporations. But outside of that, it's what I try to bring home to my two daughters and my wife. It's what I'm trying to do with the men around me. Um, I created a, a group called The Exchange, which actually inspired my book, which is all about helping men become better men and to help sh- you know show people what vulnerability looks like and walk in the talk. So, you know, that's what gets me fired up. Yeah, I dig it. And I and I dig the passion behind it. And that's totally what I got from just looking into what you're doing, some of the videos that I've seen. And, you know, the one sheet I went way beyond that because I do stalk people a little bit before I get them on the show, uh, just so I can be a little bit more intelligent about what you have going on. And it's 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 really neat. I'm going to ask you a, a question specifically that I saw this video a while back, somebody who you may have heard of, Simon Sinek. And he's talking about millennials. And I had always followed Simon and my personal views about him is one thing. He's got a lot of great points in leadership, having never really led anything that I can tell, quite (laughs) frankly. But that's not to take away from his information. But when he did this video in a conversation about millennials, I sat back and I was like, I don't buy that. I didn't buy it. Yeah. Share your thoughts on that. And so I was about when someone shared that with me, I think I was, um, I was almost, I th- I was done with the book, but it hadn't published yet. And I, I disagree with a, a lot of the things he has to say. I think he has more of a ne- negative viewpoint. And my whole message is that millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. And mm-hmm. so what this, a lot of people read this book and say, you know, I, I use the example, Mike Hibbison, who's a senior executive at Home Depot. He's one of the stories in the book. He read the book four times and he mm. turned to me and he said, uh, Chris, I'm ready to meet with you. I've read it four times. I'm like, oh, geez. So we, I met him for, for breakfast. And I'm like, okay, here comes. I was preparing myself for like critical feedback. And you and know, just, just for reference, what's his age? What's, what, what category does he uh, So he's a um, right in the excerpt. Um, he is fi- just turned 50. Okay. So he's right where I'm at. Yep. So just turned 50. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, we, we grabbed, a seat and he, he looks around and he whispers to me, he goes, Chris, I just figured out after reading your book, I'm kind of like a millennial. And I'm like, don't worry, Mike, no one's going to hear you. And he goes, millennial is much more of a mindset than anything else. And I said, exactly. That is exactly what I'm talking about. And so, you know, if you look at a lot of the things out there that are being said about generations and understanding generations, take all that stuff out of the picture because everything has changed. And what's changed is really what makes this generation two very different generations. We're talking about people that are born between 1981 and 1996. That is a massive group of people. And so the first thing I do is I break millennials into two different groups, older millennials, Oregon trail millennials, because they, they played Oregon trail 
in some form of their elementary upbringing to understand computers. And then younger millennials, which I call Snapchat millennials, because they were given a Snapchat account at age 13 on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And what makes these two very different generations is that one, when they adopted technology and social media, and then two, when the recession of 2008 either hit them or their parents for the younger millennials. And so it's with that kind of mindset and viewpoint that I bring this book into the world saying that I think I sign all my books, the best is yet to come. And that's what my whole message is about. And if you look at Simon Sinek's whole thing on millennials, it doesn't take any form of that. And so... Um, that's what we'll talk about hopefully a little bit and where I'll get all fired up about some of the points that I'm trying to make and, and trying to impact within our organizations. Yeah, I totally get that. And guys, I might put that video down into the show notes, but if not, or rather you don't want to go there or not, just, uh, just search Simon Sinek and, and millennials, it'll pop up. I'm absolutely positive of it. Uh, but you know, I've never, I've said this often and, you know, tell me your thought process, but and you kind of touched on this. I think you're, we're on the same um, thought process here. I don't subscribe to the whole idea that the generation gap and, and stereotyping based off of, you know, like millennials, Gen X's, and they're all this way, and these are all this way. The only thing that's obvious is the age gap. Exactly. Because I know people that I personally grew up with that act just ridiculous and that stereotypical millennial thought process. Right. But then I know other, I know kids and I call them kids, but I know like my boys, I mean, they're a lot like me because what they grew up with me and they've been around me a lot, you know, they got their differences and stuff. And I just see the, my point is, is I just see the, these mannerisms and these thought processes across the board. It just has to do more with how you were brought up. A hundred percent. And you know, what we need to stop doing is using millennials as a synonym for inexperienced and young. Mm-hmm. And that's, guess what? Millennials are both inexperienced and young. So let's stop using as a synonym for that and classifying them as a whole. And instead, look at them. We finally have a generation that is willing to walk the talk and quit their jobs if we don't meet some of these things in the middle. And does it mean that they're all the way right? No. Does it mean that we need to start adapting if we want to survive? Yes. And that's what this book's all about. Yeah. Well, on the other side, I know older people that are experienced. And for those who aren't looking, I'm using air quotes, (laughs) but they're idiots. And and age doesn't equal experience in any particular thing other than their life. And that may not may or may not benefit me in some way in the way that I need it. On the other hand, I've talked to younger guys. In fact, I had these guys contacting me on a regular. They're like, you know, you need to check out our coaching and you need to check this out. And we're doing this on LinkedIn and we're doing this over here. And we're doing this. Over there. I'm like, these young punks, you know, what the hell can they teach me? Right. In this regard, in, in an area that I'm working in. And when I got on the phone with two of them, I was like, oh my God, these guys are freaking brilliant. That's awesome. You know, and they're way, they're 20 years younger than I am. Easy. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And so, you know, you you just got to open your mind, guys. That's all we're saying here is, is everybody has value to add, regardless of their age and even regardless of their experience. Now, I will say that I do have a hard time if somebody's been married three years and they want to do couples counseling with me and my wife that's been married for 27 years. I might have to have, you know, consider that, but I'll keep an open mind and move forward. There you go. 
<laughs> I like it. So one of the questions I like to ask is a kick in the gut moment, because regardless of age and experience, we all have kick in the gut moments. And it's what we do with that information that changes the trajectory of our life, either keeps us down or just pushes us and makes us passionate about something. So if you would share a kick in the gut moment with us and really make us feel that. Sure. And by the way, I love the format of this podcast and um, I love your questions. And, you know, you look at the hero's journey, which is a lot of um, a lot of speeches and books will follow that. But, you know, one of my big things, and I start the book this way, is what my rock bottom looked like. And that was two and a half years ago. I'd lost sight of what was most important to me. I had uh, on the outside, I was I was killing it. You know, I was the youngest partner of my ad firm, 22 squared. We've we have offices in Tampa and Atlanta. Um, you know, I was going to lunches with Sheryl Sandberg and um, traveling all over the world. But inside, I was I was really struggling. And uh, so, for me, my I think everyone's rock bottom looks different. Um, but for me, I, I have a pretty high self awareness, and I took. I asked our CEO, um, Richard Ward, I called him and I said, listen, I'm, I'm reevaluating a lot of things and I'd like to take a month off just to, to think about things um, because something's off. And he granted that and was super supportive. And it was during that time that I, I really took it down to the studs and, and made some very big decisions. And, and one of those was doubling down on my own family, my two daughters who uh, are seven and nine and my wife and making them a priority in my life again. And the other thing I did was I, I, I recalibrated what my own metric of success was. And uh, my old metric of success was beating my brothers at the game of life. It was just beating them. And let me tell you something that's not a great metric to have as a success piece. And uh, I changed it to that. Um, and I promised myself and, and my wife that uh, uh, success will be accountable on a on daily basis. When my head hits the pillow, I will ask myself, was I successful today? And what is success to me now is the amount of energy put into a day and impact made. And, it, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I've gone to bed for the last two and a half years successful. And it was around that time after changing those things, what I found was that instead of being the point of the arrow and instead of being the Don Draper, if you will, of our ad agency for anyone that watched Mad Men, I, I wanted to coach and empower this next generation or basically my team, which ended up being the next generation, 30 millennials on my team. And uh, it was seven months into that that I went on a men's retreat because I created kind of this men's group, which was a total experiment. And uh, because I wanted to be a resource, not only within my organization, with my wife and, and children, but also for other men um, to help men become better men. And so we were on this executive retreat and I introduced myself and I, I kind of had a hard time describing what I did anymore because I was no longer the business development guy. I was no longer the digital guy. And so I was like, well, I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And my friend Tommy Breedlove, well, now closest friend, Tommy Tommy's Breedlove. awesome, man. He's been on my show. I did so, Tommy. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think I think we found him because of your show. So we were it was around that time we were listening to some podcasts. It was me and my friend Cody, and we were like, uh Cody reached out to me. we we said, Who who is gonna lead this executive retreat that we're doing. And um, it was a group of 14 guys, total experiment in North Georgia. 
And uh, he said, well, I just listened to this podcast. And I'm almost positive it was your podcast that he was listening to. He's like, this guy, Tommy, would be perfect for it. And um, so he, we used him to facilitate this this trip. And, you know, after I introduced myself as the millennial whisper, Tommy, you know, with his deep voice and big blue eyes, he turns to me next to the fire. He goes, you better write that book. And I was like, <laughs> what book, Tommy? He goes, the millennial whisper. If you don't write it, I am. I'm like, Tommy, dude, there's no way I can write a book. He was like, let me introduce you to my friend, Nick Pavlidis. He's he's a great editor and could be a good person for you to talk to. And then the rest was history. That was 18 months ago. I wrote the book in seven months. We published in 14. We sold 40,000 since then. And we're, we're subsequently changing the world. So here we go. Man, that is a that is an excellent story. And it totally sounds like Tommy for sure to throw that out there. Guys, he was episode 146. So go to menofabundance.com forward slash 146 and um, check out that conversation to see what a dynamic dude this is. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's just such an amazing story. And Tommy wrote the foreword of my book um, and also recorded the audio book. I had him record the, uh, because if I had to record my whole thing, yeah, I need his voice in it. But I'm actually writing the foreword of his book, which will be coming out, um, which is called Legendary, which is all about how to become a, a legendary uh, man. And it is awesome. So that uh, I just wanted to plug that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I might have seen you, you know, in some of the posts because Tommy was posting about it. He was at a men's retreat. Yeah. At a, and um, he was just having a blast, man. I was digging, just watching it all unfold. And it was really cool. I dig that, that kind of stuff. And and guys, if you ever get an opportunity my goodness. I mean, some of you guys just have to sell it to your spouse or to your, to your significant other because some of them are telling you to go if they hear it, wind about these men's retreats that are just life-changing, life-altering. Uh, definitely uh, take the opportunity to experience that. It is fa- change your life. It is fascinating though. You know, we uh Tommy and I actually once again, we do a lot together. I was actually just had a coffee with him doing some networking stuff, but um mm-hmm. we were we we shared dinner with Colin O'Brady. Um, and, uh, through a, a mutual friend of ours, we, we ended up having dinner with Colin and, you know, we, I think a lot of us have seen Colin at different speaking things and Colin, for those that don't know, was the first person to go across Antarctica unsupported, carrying a sled behind him. I mean, he is, he's got five different world records. He's got the Explorers Grand Slam, one of the most inspiring people you'll ever meet. And, you know, he's on Ellen and all this stuff. And so sitting with him, he made a great point where we started talking about investing in ourselves and you know what he brought up was how few people are actually willing to invest in a coach or invest in um, a retreat or some of these things that are the most essential pieces of our fabric um and we say we say what's most important to you as a man or 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 just as a father or whatever and we'll say my wife my kids and and you know myself and all these things and then it's the first things we sacrifice and that's what colin was bringing up in this whole thing that you've got to constantly be investing in yourself if you want to keep your game up so anyways yeah yeah no for sure no i mean that's spot on though man i mean first off colin's heart is woodpecker lips and uh and two if somebody like that it always blows my mind when i'm talking to somebody and you know, you have all these high performers 
and even coaches have coaches and high performers have coaches on top of coaches for every aspect of their life or various aspects of life. And if they're doing something new, then they hire another coach or mentor, whatever the case may be. And then you're talking to somebody who wants to be at that level and says, okay, you need to hire, you know, find a coach, find somebody you can resonate with. I don't need a damn coach. Totally. Okay. Totally. <laughs> you're missing, you're missing what we're saying here. And this, you know, it was explained to me this way. Going up to school, if you were in sports, you had coaches, you had a lineman, you know, the front line coach, you had the defensive coach, offensive coach, passing coach, catching coach, you know, you name it, batting coach. Uh, but people stop having coaches after school. They don't have life coaches. They don't have business coaches. They don't have, you know, a resume coach. They don't have any of this stuff. And I'm wondering, why is this not working for me? Totally. <laughs> So, man, and here's the thing. The other thing I wanted to bring up about what you're talking about in your story is you're talking about how you go to bed successful every single day. And I will submit, based on the activities that you're doing, you go to bed with full-fledged abundance in your life because, to me, success is, is about me. It's about me fulfilling my goals, dreams, and desires and fulfilling my needs. Abundance is taking it a step forward. And you can also say significance is taking it that step forward. And it doesn't take much more to pass that on to others, to pay it forward and to share that knowledge, share that information, share your time, treasures and talents with others, share your resources with others. That's abundance taking it a little bit further. So if you would, how have you been? Uh, you already wrote the book and done many of the things so far. How has you paying it forward? How has How's that made a difference in other people's lives? Can you share any good news stories? Yeah. So uh, I will say people will ask, like, what's been the most fulfilling thing since publishing the book? And it's not the bestseller recognition, national bestseller recognition or the, I mean, sure, you know, some of the media stuff has been neat and whatever, but it's been some of the messages that have come back. Um, I had, uh, you know, one of the big things, and I, I'm very upfront with it in the book, but as I was going through my rock bottom, I took a few, I I took it down to the studs. And one of the big decisions I made was to quit drinking. And uh, I had someone reach out recently after reading the book and they said, you know, you, you inspired me to look at my life. I don't know whether or not that they quit drinking. I'm not here to judge those that do or do not. But for me, it was a key element to clearing and dissecting. Uh, I say it was like my life was like a soup before then, before rock bottom. And so I had to kind of extract all the different ingredients and uh you know for me drinking was one of those so i had someone reach out and say that i inspired them to rethink that and you know i think practicing vulnerability in the book itself like um and um you look at that how it translates as leaders and what this next generation is not only looking for in their leaders but they're expecting from their leaders it's it's walking the talk you know and um you know, one of the other things I talk about in the book is like support people's side hustles. So everyone on your team, you got to support the side hustle. I'm like, this book was my side hustle. Like, and now it's my full time hustle. And so it is being able to like, what's the, the, the greatest kind of things? It's, it's the messages, it's the emails, it's the notes that are starting to come in. But it's also like when I, for the first time in my life, I come home and and I don't really know when I'm working or not. Like, I'm kind of, I'm hanging out with you, Wally, and I'm working right now. How cool is that? And I'm talking about how we're going to change the world for the better. Like, when your passion and your profession and your purpose all overlap, it's a beautiful thing. But it's also dangerous because my wife says, I don't, uh, sometimes I never stop working. But I'm like, isn't that kind of 
the great part. We'll go on a date tomorrow night. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I will say having been married as long as I have and having been in a situation where I would literally come home from work, my day job and go do something with my side hustle, uh, literally knocking on doors, prospecting, doing various things, um, you know, you name it, and then come home and basically read some more, do something else on the computer, whatever, and really was not spending time with the family. It's you got to pay attention to that. Hundred percent. Yeah. So and, and you got to learn how to pl- unplug. I mean, you know, yeah, you do. Uh, you have to. Yeah, I t- I totally agree with that, and that's another part of the whole abundance mindset and family, faith, finances, and fitness. Having it all together, it's never a perfect balance. It's always going to be a counterbalance when you're focusing on a book. The family's got to understand, hey, listen, I'm focusing on the book and we're going to get this time back, uh, but we got to get this done so that we can go do this type of thing, as long as you have that conversation. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some of the things that you talk about, I was very interested in, like 12 things every company should know about motivating millennials. What are you doing there? So... uh I like to break it down and I want people to be able to, okay, if they're listening right now, what is it that I'm going to do different today? So I think, I think 12 is a little, a little much, but, um, how I would break it down is I would say as leaders, right? There's, there's certain things that millennials statistically speaking, according to the 2018 Deloitte millennial survey, there's certain things that they're expecting from you as an organization. And um, the first thing is no different than any other prior generation. It's money. It's money and benefits. Where it starts to get a little different from those things that they're looking for from the organization, they want um, a good culture, a company culture. And uh, I can talk a lot about what makes a good culture, but I think Mm -hmm. great culture is just a byproduct of great leadership. You don't need the beautiful, the, the kegs or the ping pong tables or the brand new office or the full-time barista to make a good culture. You don't need all that stuff. It starts with head and heart. Um, but you know, the, the another thing that they're looking for from the organizations is work flexibility. I mean, cell phones change everything. And so you'll hear time and time again that uh, we finally have a generation that wants to work from sometimes home if they need mm-hmm. to. And so put that aside, though, most of my emphasis is... Um, is around us as leaders. So how can we become not only better leaders, but also better humans? Mm -hmm. And so if you look, statistically speaking, what millennials are looking for from their leaders are inspirational leadership. They're looking for transparency. They're looking for autonomy and they're looking for real purpose. And that purpose, your organization should represent something more than just a bottom line or a profit or a stock ticker and it should have be creating a bigger impact outside of your own walls. And if you don't have it for this next generation, good luck with Z because they're requiring it um, mm-hmm. as a part of the the um, kind of job search and what they're going into. And so we've Gen Z just now starting to graduate from college. But you know, so you look at what they're looking for from their leaders, and and the book really focuses on all right. If it is, if it, let's think about how we organize organize our, our our companies differently. You know, let's think about maybe pairing up the order person with the inspirational leader person instead of asking someone to be all things to all people. Let's uh, let's put some things in place where people can create a side hustle while they're working. 
at your organization as they're trying to figure out their purpose. Um, and so, you know, I also have the other side of it, which is I think our role as leaders is also to teach this generation um, some of the facts of life that that are a new reality. And I think social media changed everything, not just for this generation, but also within ourselves. And in the book, I call it the Pinterest station of a generation, where it's like every single moment, it's exhausting. Take the first day of school. You look at your news feeds and it's like Abigail on her first day and she's holding this beautiful chalkboard with handwritten stencils of her teacher's name, her favorite food. And it's exhausting. And a lot of my friends are, are, are young parents and um, you know everyone's kind of putting all of this effort into creating these perfect lives. Yeah. And one thing I tell my, my group um, is, you know, one, stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides. Um, I bring in a mindfulness coach in once a month um, to help, you know, really teach us to be in the moment. Um, but I also introduce them to my 70-30 rule. And my 70-30 rule is 30% of life sucks. 30% of life is going to be hard. 30% of your job is going to suck. 70% should fuel you up, fire you up, and keep you going. And, you know, unfortunately, we all suffer from this grass is always greener on the other side complex. And especially with social media, and you look at statistically this generation, millennials, and well, I think we'll see it a little bit less in Gen Z, but they're popping around jobs all the time, much more than previous generations, because it's kind of this pursuit of perfection. And I say that life should be a ruthless pursuit of passions, and we should move around and continue to fuel those things. But that doesn't mean that you can't fuel them within your four walls here. So that's my quick tirade on on some of the elements within the book. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 how can we create practical, tactical things that we can introduce to our organizations that are all built on m- massive amounts of data that I used uh, through one of my uh, good friends at Vanderbilt uh, to give me all this data from uh, many different sources. Yeah, you know, there's so much we can unfold there. But one thing I do want to touch on specifically is what one of the last things you just said there is about passion. And I don't always subscribe to the idea that you can turn your passion into an income opportunity because it's just not true and all across the board. But that's not the point. Everybody wants to connect their passion and or have this conversation about connecting passion to money, but it doesn't have to be connected to money. Mother Teresa changed the world and she made no money doing it. Whereas Bill Gates changed the world. And oh, by the way, he made a buttload of money doing it. Totally. You know, and you got everything in between. Yep. So as long as you're doing something that's passionate and fulfills you, it doesn't have to make money, but you do have to find a little bit of passion in what is paying the bills. And if anything, it's paying the bills so that you can do your passion. 100%. And I mean, I think it's also why I, I say, you know, when you're supporting people's side hustles, those side hustles can be altruistic in nature. You know, it can be giving mm-hmm. back to a community. I, I use the example of someone on our team. Uh, Kevin is his name. And he donates his 10% uh, of his time to uh, Camp Twin Lakes, which is a, a camp for um, terminally ill. Uh, I mean, basically all different types of kids with uh, different diseases. 
uh, and each camp is uh, a different disease. Camp Sunshine mm-hmm. is one of the most famous ones. But like that's one example. Another example is a, a woman on my team who wanted to start her own clothing line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was more entrepreneurial. And I helped her. And after about seven months, uh, she quickly realized, one, it's a very competitive market. Two, it's really hard to create a clothing line. And three, it takes a lot of work. And that, you know, I don't know exactly what that changed with her, but a lot of people feel like they have to move or leave their job in order to pursue or to your point, figure out whether or not their passions and making money can collide. And so this alleviates some of that stress, I think, and also gives them a little bit of the freedom to to truly explore those passion areas and 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 um, make it a part of their everyday, because we all know that the job's not going to be perfect. We all know that we're going to have down days, and so mm-hmm. on those down days, what's going to fuel them? Uh, I say side hustles. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I do this podcast for free. Yeah, I mean, I, it turned into a, a coaching business, but I don't get paid from the podcast. And there's parts of this podcast, this part, I absolutely love. I there's other parts that I kind of was intrigued at at first because it was new technology and new to me. But at this point, over two years in, I don't like editing anymore. So totally. I'm going to hand that over to somebody else because I just can't stand it anymore. Yeah. But uh, other than the fact that I get to go through and listen to the conversation again, which is awesome. But one of the things that you bring up too is, you know, and it, it touches on the whole exploring the passion projects uh, outside of the work. And you mentioned two things that was intriguing to me is, Gmail and Google Maps. What has that got to do with the uh, exploring passion projects? So if uh, Google has this thing called their 20% um, rule, and their 20% rule is that 20% of all Google employees' time can be um, put towards a passion project. And if you look at a lot of these things that have graduated from... I mean, let's not forget Google started out as just a word, you know, a search engine. That's it. Mm-hmm. And you look at them now and they're building phones. They're doing these things that are way outside of where their original kind of core competency were. A lot of those things, Gmail and Google Maps, are products of actually people pursuing their, 10, their 20%. And Google allocates 20% of all their employees' time to pursue, pursue these things. And uh, if you look at both those examples, those came out of the 20%. It was people that were people that were interested in these things outside of just search engine optimization and being a search engine and uh, created something new. And you, so, and I think that is more, Facebook has a program that not many people know about, but a lot of my friends are at Facebook or I've been at Facebook called Fuel. And it's, it's even less stringent than, I mean, there are less rules, if you will. It's more open-ended where people can just take, I think it's 10% of their time uh, and donate it to whatever it is. It could be writing a book. It could be uh, donating their time to a nonprofit. It, it could be almost anything that just fuels you up. And so I like using those as examples of people are like, oh, well, what's the ROI of this? And it's like, well, first of all, they're going to stay. So let's use that. But then you look at some of the most innovative aspects of some of these companies, they came out of these types of programs. Hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me because my coach and mentor, quite frankly, Carl Bryan, uh, says that systems stifle creativity. 
and he gets a lot of kickback on that. And because everybody's like system, system, systems, and you got the whole Mike McCallowitz idea from E-Myth. And it's like, yeah, systems are great. That's what built McDonald's. And that's a good product. But when you're when you're here, well, I don't know if it's a good product, it's a good business model. <laughs> but that, you know, like Google and Facebook yeah. and other things like that, if you have such stringent systems, then you're really stifling creativity within the organization. And one person that I know gets this because I follow him a lot business-wise and personally is Richard Branson. Yep. In his organizations, he has no vacation system. No. You take vacation when you feel like taking vacation. You got to get your work done. That's his metric get your work done. I don't care where you're at, get your work done. Uh, the projects done that are asked of you and you say you're going to do. And oh, by the way, he also encourages them, I think actually ensures that they uh, give back somehow within the community, Yep, which is extremely important as a human being. It's another thing that Chick-fil-A does. Chick-fil-A does the same thing, similar to that. I don't know about the vacation part, but uh, definitely com- uh, building them up as humans, as people in this in community and giving back to the community. When I think, you know, and I think I mean, Richard's a great example of it. I, I had the opportunity uh, at a much younger age. I was actually still in college. I had an opportunity to stay with him and his family for a week uh, in Necker Island as I, I was actually just teaching windsurfing down there and ended up getting to know Sam and Holly, his, his kids really well. And he invited us over. And then I just stayed the week with him because I thought I could probably learn something from Richard Branson, right, yeah. but he walks the talk. I mean, and it comes down to it. Essentially what this whole thing is about what my book, which is how do we bring more connection and more empathy? There's no more, when you're talking to Richard, he, he is, he actually wants to know what's happening with you, even though he's a billionaire, he, he has this ability to connect and also this um, this empathy that is unbelievable, and that trickles through all of his organizations that he runs. And you know, you look at the elements of this book that I'm trying to you know change our organizations around. I, I think the ones that are doing it right are the ones we're talking about. Most mm-hmm. are not, though. Most are not doing it right. And I think there's this idea within our corporations that one, like we can't be friends quote unquote, with any of our employees. Mm. And the, tr- the truth of the matter is, is that the millennials in this next generation, they don't delineate between them. They're, they're expecting connection from you. And so I say, follow all one of the things I put in the, I put in the millennial whisper was follow all of your employees on social media. And if that's awkward to you as a person, then maybe you should look closer at what your relationship looks like. And it was funny. I was talking to a uh, a person that runs a very large organization recently. And he pulled me aside. He goes, Chris, I'm not posting a bunch of my personal stuff on social media. I'm just not doing it. And I said, they don't want you to do that. You know what they care about? They care about you following them. And when they come in on a Monday, you can say something relevant like that. Everything from that concert that you went to or that Habitat for Humanity build that you did, whatever, that is creating connection, genuine connection. Mike Hibison in the book, uh, who's an executive at Home Depot, he gives his people in their one-on-ones the option to talk about work or talk about life. And 80% of the time, they talk about life. Is there an ROI to that conversation? Absolutely. Because with connection comes loyalty. With connection mm-hmm. comes more more, more drive and motivation, et cetera, et cetera. And I know I got into these kind of passion tangents, so I apologize. No, I dig it, man. And I want to point something out because I do have a lot of veteran followers 
and being in the army for 25 years, I saw 25 years worth of evolution. And people think, well, it's such a stringent system. And it is. When I was in the 82nd Airborne Division as a young non-commissioned officer, I, I was not allowed to go even eat lunch with the junior enlisted, the E-4s and below, specialists, privates, and so on. As I became a leader and I became a first sergeant, I would follow some of my soldiers or many, any soldiers that had it open at Facebook at the time, I would follow them and I could see what they were doing over the weekend and on, with their free time. It did give me a better connection with them. I did not, you know, interact with them on the, on the platform, but they knew I was there. It kind of, um, I don't know, they, they kind of watched their P's and Q's a little bit, I guess, maybe too. But the, the, the culture within the military is one that specifically it's even more so in the Navy. Enlisted doesn't even talk to officers and junior enlisted definitely do not talk to senior enlisted unless spoken to. Otherwise, that's just a no-no. It just doesn't happen. Right. And it's true in other armies, too. I've worked with over 20 other armies as well, militaries. Um, it's true in that regard as well. But I've found that when I was able to have a more personal connection with them, and that's why we try to do these organizations and go out and have fun together without alcohol, and it you you do kind of have a better – people will work more for you than do the work because they have to. When I think – yeah, absolutely, and I think if you look at the military as an example, they do a lot of things well. You know, and I, I, I recognize and will build, uh, bring up the military for rewards and recognition. And you look at this need for rewards and recognition. And one of the things mm-hmm. I say and a lot of times is that as a leader today, especially with millennials or Gen Z, if when your head hits the pillow, you're not utterly exhausted from oh, like, uh, heroing, rewarding, recognizing your people. If you're not utterly exhausted of, uh, from doing that, you haven't done it enough. The reason for that is one, a lot of these people are products of helicopter parents and they have gotten those participation trophies. That doesn't mean you have to give them, but you've got to at least show them that you've got to overly kind of communicate those those recognitions and those rewards throughout the day and create creative ways to do that. But, you know, the you look at even, you know. I use the example of this company out in San Francisco, which is a ridiculous example, but they don't give any money away to their employees. It doesn't have to be a money. It doesn't have to be a coin in, you know, kind of the, the military. Uh, we, we actually have a change award at our company, which is a, co- a big gold coin, which is inspired mm-hmm. from some of the things that the military does. Um, but they actually have a big blue 10 foot rooster on wheels that they'll care they take over to the employee of the month that is essentially their salesperson of the month they will drag the big blue rooster over to that person's desk and it'll sit there for that full month you know they also play that person's at bat song while blue sirens go off and they make a big announcement about it like so i keep i talk about some of these things but I do think that there's a lot to look at the military for for things that they do really well that I think a lot of people can learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has evolved quite a bit over the, we just recently, the last organization I worked in, and this was true with the Navy SEALs and then my organization, which was a medical hospital, uh, we got into Arbinger, the Arbinger Institute, and literally purchased millions of dollars worth of books. And I became a, a lead the leader facilitator. Uh, and that's more talking about this type of stuff, the customer recognition, getting to see people as people, not as 
employees, not as products and stuff like this. The one, there's one word that the older generation of military, the senior guys absolutely despised and had a hard time getting used to and still many still haven't that they'll get from the younger generation when giving an order. And that one word is why, you know, cause the, the younger generation, they want, they ask questions. I just told my nine year old yesterday, he's always says, what does that mean? What does this word mean? What, why do you do that? Why did I told him, you know, you ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Never stop asking That's questions. Awesome. Never. And as, if he ever does join the military, like my oldest one is, um, he's going to drive some people crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's a good point. I dig it. And But th- there's a time and a place for a question, for sure. right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, brother, we are at the point where we are going to pay it forward. You ready to do that? Yeah, I love it. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. So, uh, well, one of the big things is take action. And uh, one of the more popular parts of the book uh, it's actually kind of far in the book and and not even a chapter heading, but it's this idea of turning let's into buy one. And there's nothing more. I think we live in a very unaccountable culture. I think we a lot of people fail to take action. And so when you get an email, and this started from a frustration of mine with a bunch of the millennial employees around my life, um, and when it starts with let's, Let's do this. Let's do that. And then nothing happens. Mm. And so answer let's, let's, let's means you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. Yeah. Let's, or, let's, or one of you. Let's, or, but even in your social life, let's mm-hmm. grab coffee. Let's grab a drink and nothing right. ever happens. So immediately, and I encourage everyone listening, try this. Next time someone says that, you immediately answer with buy one. And you're either going to find that they didn't even really want to grab coffee or a drink with you, or you'll see yourself a week later hanging out with that person and you'll be surprised at the fact that it actually happened because you answered let's with a buy when. So I think that's one one key point. Um, I think the next piece is that um, that this idea of the 70-30 rule or what I also call my sitting in your car rule, which is if two days in a row you're going into that your work and you have this massive sense of dread and it's not associated to your own procrastination or your own um, pushing yourself to actually develop. Uh, Everyone knows what I'm talking about, but two days in a row, then something's got to change and take action on that change. I tell every single one of my employees that, and I can tell, you know, people are like, Chris, how do you let go of employees? I'm like, I have an honest conversation with them. And I say, are you happy? Are you passing the sitting in your car rule? And most of the time, they'll say, no, I'm not happy. It's like, okay, well, let me help you find something that's more in line with what you're looking for. Um, And then my last piece uh, and takeaway would be, uh, I think life should be a ruthless pursuit of passions. And I think that, and mine is, my my passion point is bringing more connection and love and empathy in the world. I think, I don't think we have near enough of it. I think it's why we're seeing things the way that we're seeing it. but uh, my my big part, we've we've all got to, I think, start following more of that instinct and and fueling our passions. And so, allow your people to to embrace their side hustles. Find your own side hustle, and uh, you know, I think the best is yet to come. So, I, I get really excited about what's happening out there, and I think the world's a beautiful place. And I think it's about how you look at it that's the the key piece. Yeah, I totally agree. 
what rituals make the biggest impact in your life other than what you've already mentioned? So what's funny is, so I've started workout three mornings a week. And um, so I get up at 4.55, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But that was a product of me hanging out with a guy by the soccer field. And I said, dude, you look like you're in like really good shape. You've, you, you, like I can tell like how, how much faster, blah, blah, blah. You're running. I see you running by, sprinting by the house. Like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I go to the gym. And he was like, you should check out this gym and trainer I'm working with. I said, by when? He goes, Tuesday, 4.55. I'm like, all right, I'll be there. And then that changed everything. So I think some of those things uh, are really impactful. I mean, for me, I think you've, we all have our demons. We have all have a vice or two. And I would encourage everyone to take a, a long, deep look at that. And, you know, for me, one of the most, I say the three best decisions I've ever made in my life was marrying my wife, having children, and then quitting drinking. And that, that for me was such a big, impactful move that I would challenge everyone to look deep within themselves um, as to what those things might look, look like for them. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Other than your book, what are you reading or listening to that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why? So right now, I, I was uh, uh, on a radio show recently with Jay and Catherine Wolf, and uh, they, once again, they, uh, she had a stroke 11 years ago, is half paralyzed, and they have this amazing viewpoint of the world. So I just started, I'm actually going to be hanging out with them in a week, and I hate when people meet up with other authors and they don't read the book. So I'm reading that book right now, and it's actually very inspirational. And then uh, I do a lot of, uh, I read a lot of novels as well. So uh, Shantaram is one of the my more recent ones. I was told that if I read Shantaram, I'd actually maybe want to go visit India. And uh, I read Shantaram and not only, it almost made me want to go visit India, but more than anything, it taught me a lot about people and love. And there's a lot of great messages in there. And then I'll be right, I'll be reading and helping Tommy edit Legendary. So uh, that'll be, I think, the next one that's that that's on the to do list, which I should be diving into sometime next week. And I'll be writing the forward of that, considering he wrote the forward of mine. So awesome, awesome. That sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to that as well. Awesome. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? I think taking action. I think, you know, um, and Tommy has taught me this the best. And he says a lot of these things, not only does your foundation have to be built on gratitude, but a lot of these things that we need to do in life or work on are muscles. And we got to flex that muscle every single day. And I think we focus on the champagne moments versus the ride and those small things. And I think it's with the small things that everything else follows and has this ripple effect on. So whether it be getting up and, and going for that run or working out in the morning or changing something within ourselves or habits, uh, I think it all starts with these small things that we flex on a daily basis. And, um, when it starts to come into place, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I, and I obviously benefit from having Tommy as a very close friend and, and coach for me. Um, so he's taught me a lot of those things. Excellent. Yeah. Great guy to learn from for sure. What does being a man of abundance mean to you? I think giving back is, 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 is one of the, one of the big things and, and walking the talk. Um, so giving back to the world, to those around us, um, and then making sure that we're following the things that we're saying out there and being examples for um, children and, and 
next generations to to learn from. Excellent. I appreciate that, man. Hey, we're going to have the millennialwhisperer.com linked up in the show notes. How else would you like for our uh, listeners to get a hold of you? And before I let you go, what else did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation today? Well, uh, I mean, I think this has been an awesome conversation and I've gotten a lot of the great tidbits in that uh, I like to get in, but it, more than anything, it's a real conversation. And I appreciate, Wally, what you're doing and the message that you're bringing. Uh, I think we need this. We need more Wallys in the world. So um, big props to you for, for doing what you're doing. Uh, for the book, it's actually... Uh, so the it's available everywhere. Buy it on Amazon. It's The audiobook is out now with me saying it and Tommy's doing the, uh, the foreword. Uh, and then any really bookstore should have it by now. We're in every airport as of Saturday. So that's exciting. And then um, if you actually want to just download the first chapter, we've set up a, a link for everyone listening. And so if you go to themillennialwhisperer.com and millennial spelled with two L's and two N's, Millennial Whisper, the Millennial Whisper.com, and then forward slash abundance, you can download the first chapter. And we've also created a millennial leadership assessment so you can actually see what type of millennial leader you are. Um, so uh, check that out. And that's for everyone listening. So, man, that's awesome. I greatly appreciate that, man. I'll be checking that out myself as well. Guys, we'll have all of that linked up in the show notes. Chris, it's been an awesome conversation. I greatly appreciate your time. I love what you're doing, man. Go out, live your life of abundance and keep paying it forward. Thanks, man. All right, guys. So that was a very interesting conversation, to say the least, at least from my perspective. I always like having these conversations in reference to the generation gaps, or at least the ideas that there's a generation gap in the workplace and how people react to different situations in the workplace and in their personal lives. So I just challenge you to take a closer look at this. Take a look at your leadership position, your leadership style, how are you integrating everyone in your workplace, in your business, or even within your community and how you're interacting with people out on your daily activities? Get away from the idea of prejudging people based on their age or even how they look, the color of their skin, or any other differences that may stand out. I assure you that most people will be able to contribute in various ways in your life and in your business if you just get to know them a little bit more and find out what motivates them. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance. Abundance.